We're live, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us today. It is Wednesday, May 31st, the last day of the month. It's 11.01 a.m. Central. What is it? 12.01 Eastern, 9.01 Pacific. I'm here joined by the great Corey Steuben from Monroe Live. Uh, and I don't have producer wife with me today. So hopefully this is not a complete disaster. Corey, how are you doing, my friend? Thank you for I'm, coming back. I'm doing great. Always glad to be here. Of course, man. So I want to kick. I want to kick off the podcast with some pretty uh, mind-blowing pictures here. So this is Mr. Corey Steuben. If if you've been following Corey uh, as of late, you've seen that he's been on this uh, awesome uh, journey, uh, getting back to uh, running and going through a weight loss journey. Can I show you guys a picture real quick? What Corey used to look like? Look at this. Who is this guy? Oh, Corey, man. tell us a little bit about this picture. Who is this guy? <laughs> so that was one year ago, a little bit over a year ago. And I had actually already lost 20 pounds at that point. So at my highest, I was 265 pounds. I was about 245 right there. And yeah, I just kind of lost my way. The stress of the pandemic and my food choices were horrible. And um, about a year and a half ago, I decided to give up caffeine and pop and energy drinks and started to just drink water. And I started running. I, I had had a long history of running in the past. Uh, about a decade ago, I ran lots of marathons and, and half marathons and 10 Ks. So I decided I want to qualify for Boston again, which is running three hours and five minutes or faster. So I ran a marathon this past weekend. And, and the I think, results. And the results, I ran 250. Wow. Which is a 629 pace. And, um, so I went from being, I could barely run two miles at 10 minutes a mile a year ago. And then I just guy. ran, uh, a two fifty. So, wow. And, uh, so I qualified for Boston. So I'm going to run Boston, the Boston marathon next year. I also qualified for New York. It's actually harder to qualify for New York. It's two fifty five to get into New York. And, uh, so I should be able to do the New York marathon too. That's awesome, man. Congratulations. This is insanely impressive. I mean, I, I, I wasn't even joking. I told Corey that I can't even sustain this pace when I'm sprinting, but I'm like being legitimately serious. So this is like, this is absolutely insane. Uh, I, I'm sure this is going to be a, a massive inspiration for a lot of people, man, because this is like to go from a year and I know you used to run and stuff, but to go from a, a year ago, you know, I think a lot of us were sort of going through some tough, you know, it was hard. The, the freaking pandemic was hard on a lot of us. And the fact that, you know, you put your mind to it and really just a year later you're running a sub three hour marathon dude congratulations everybody in the chat give freaking Corey a huge round of applause man because this is giant um how has it helped your mental like maybe talk oh about gosh. it a little bit like tell us a little bit about the the benefits yeah the the endorphins that are released from running they become kind of addictive so it's to the point where I run six days a week. And if for some reason something gets in the way of my run, it actually kind of affects me similar to how you'd have withdrawal from caffeine. Like, so people who don't have their coffee or other substances, you almost become addicted to it, which I'd rather be addicted to something that is a positive. And also I spend about 25 to 30 hours a month running and it's a lot of time to think and strategize. So I actually kind of couple the running with some of my thinking about what I'm going to do with Monroe or Monroe Live or the business, or if I have a big decision, I'll go for a run for a half an hour or an hour, and I'm able to kind of contemplate, you know, and think more clearly. That's awesome, man. Thank you so much for sharing that story. I mean, that's truly inspirational. I mean, I can tell you, I, from my end, I've started to really take fitness a lot more seriously, like four or five months ago. And the physical stuff is great, but like the mental for me is like the one that uh, I keep getting reminded of it when I fall off the wagon, I get back on it. I'm like, I feel so much better mentally, man. It's like completely wild. It's a form of like meditation almost, you know? And uh, yeah, man, thank you for being such a great inspiration. And no wonder Monroe Live's doing so well. Jeez, you're out there freaking <laughs> running 30 hours a week, a month rather. So yeah, dude, huge congrats. Um, cool. Let's get into some topics here. Obviously, we had a uh, some big breaking news last week uh, around the uh, Ford Tesla partnership around supercharging. I would love to deep dive that uh, topic as much as possible uh, and see what this sort of uh, how this type of partnership could shape the rest of the decade and maybe get into the rest uh, into the legacy automakers and sort of the, the broader auto uh, 
auto market as a whole into you know what we could expect from this. So maybe give us your initial thoughts about the partnership. I saw a tweet you put out where you, you thought it was a great, great thing that they got together, but maybe give us what's going through your mind and let's turn into a conversation. Yeah, so I think the biggest benefit is the experience that Ford users will have with it seamlessly integrating with the API, uh, with the Tesla charging infrastructure. And I, I kind of want to focus on Ford first because there's some benefits that Tesla will realize as well. And so now if you were considering a Mach-E, but your big hesitation was, oh man, where am I going to charge it? Electrify America or all these other charging infrastructure uh, providers that aren't as reliable. Now it's like, oh man, now I can walk like a Tesla, I can act like a Tesla, and I can road trip like a Tesla. And what's really important is that trust and the faith that the supercharger will always be there and always work as expected is something that Sandy and I came to rely on. And we kind of, when we took our big road trip trip in 2021, I literally put Malibu, California in the computer and hit go because I just knew I was meeting someone in Malibu and that's all I knew. And I didn't care where, where it was. And it mapped it out all the way across the country and it adjusted. And it was that back then in 2021, Tesla was that much further ahead with the user experience with the charge network. It's, it's almost like that symbiotic relationship needs to be there in order for you to truly trust that the chargers will be there. They'll be on the, they'll work as expected. And when I road tripped with our F-150 Lightning to Chicago, it only had like a 210 mile range. And I went with uh, Grace and Aaron from our team. We went to the Chicago auto show. Um, I mapped it out. You know, I put in where I was going and it recommended where to stop, but the charging station we stopped at was at like this international truck repair place and there was no gas station by it. It was just two stalls and one of them was broken. We plugged into one. It didn't work. And these things were brand new. They were like brand new monoliths. And we tweeted about it, you know, so if you were following us, whatever that was in the fall or in the spring. And I'm like, what would have happened if they both would have been down? We, we would have had to like, I, I don't know. We were pretty Trended. low. So yeah. it, it's like the only bad experiences I've ever had have been when I'm driving the VW ID4 or our Lightning or our Mach-E or I had a mini EV once and I needed to charge and I went to a Top Golf and it didn't work and I had to pull out a credit card. So the, the charging struggles, I don't think we need to rehash all the type of charging struggles. I just think that's the biggest differentiator that tesla has and when people ask me what ev would you buy i always would say a model y because of the charging infrastructure or a model s plaid if you want 400 miles of range and now ford gets to reap a lot of those benefits now i have no idea what type of financial relationship or benefit it'll have to tesla but there's got to be some upside for tesla whether that's some licensing fee for the api whether it is a higher uh, charging higher rates for um, tests for other OEMs using their um, their charge stations. And also now if you have a F-150 Lightning and you, let's say it's two years from now, you have an F-150 Lightning with the NACS plug, you pull up to a charging station and you're surrounded by cyber trucks. What a perfect opportunity to showcase your cyber trucks to your competitors now you're going to be surrounded by a majority of Teslas. So there could be a, uh, an ability to add, it's like at free advertising um, yeah. for Teslas. Um, and it's just one of those things where will there be a future five to 10 years from now where CCS is extinct, just like there was the big Blu-ray versus HD DVD. They both came out at the same time. And I remember there were people in both camps VHS and whatever. I'm too old for that. VHS and Betamax. Betamax. I don't yeah. even know. Um, and I, I even remember when I was younger, um, it was before MP3 players, there was a mini, a mini disc. There was like a mini CD disc that I wanted to buy one because it was little and it was only around for a tiny period of time. And then it got usurped by uh, little MP3 players that had SD cards like I big that. SD cards. And then yeah. the iPod came out. 
So we've seen these flashes in the pan and I just wish I could, you know, peer into the future and see if CCS one or CCS two will be extinct or so rare that they're kind of novelties. And if there's one company, if there's one boardroom or company I wouldn't want to be working for right now, it's General Motors and Honda and, and all the other OEMs that now they have a decision to make. Are they going to be the second one behind Ford or do they all group up together and say, hey, we need to double down and build our own network? I just think it's game over at this point. It, it, the, it's like with Ford and Tesla being on NACS, what other option is there than for GM and all the other OEMs to switch unless they just want to be really stubborn and have a bad user experience for their customers in perpetuity, which will even further damage their ability to sell EVs. So I want to know what your thoughts on that. Do you think it's game? Do you think the Ford decision is game over NACS? I think it is. What do you think? I mean, I, I think it is too, because I mean, you look at just the form factor of the plug itself should be enough to say, yeah, we want the the NACS because it's less materials. Like just, just look at the two plugs. <laughs> it's yeah. just such a vast difference, right? So just at very surface level, I'm like, yeah, this makes a lot more sense. And now that you have you know, a legacy automaker, really an American icon. I mean, Ford is a legitimate American icon that has been around forever, very well respected. And they made a decision... Uh, and they're really like stuck to their, you know, they always talk about how they're uh, uh, a nimble, flexible, independent company that's that's really good at making decisions on the fly. And this is an example of that. Um, that, I think, is going to carry so much momentum for the NACS standard that the uh, the benefits are going to be uh, clear as day. You know, you, you're going to you're probably going to see a lot of Maki owners and F-150 Lightning owners in the next year or two that are like, yeah, why would I ever go to an Electrify America plug when I can just use the Tesla supercharger network? And so that if if these customers really do care about the customer experience, you know, and forget about what Tesla stands for, but there is data that shows and not just anecdotal evidence that the supercharger network, the NACS standard, is significantly more reliable for the for a positive customer experience. And so, from a from that perspective, it, it behooves the company to have NACS plugs in their cars. So that in itself, I think, is going to create so much momentum for the standard in the states. That I agree with you. If GM, Honda, uh, and all these other companies, if they don't jump on the NACS standard, they're going to be stuck with an inferior EV experience, which the charging experience outside of cost is the largest variable that people look for when they're purchasing an EV. And so if you don't have the best uh, type of charging, then it seems like people will not buy your cars, right? So uh, I I'm curious, like how, you know, you, you talk about uh, the, there's a potential for the, these automakers to, to be stubborn and, you know, create their own standard which runs or sticking with CCS, which could run the risk of being an inferior um, charging standard in the long term, which could really impact their ability to sell cars. Talk me, maybe talk me through how big of a, you know, because you've been exposed to uh, automakers basically your whole life. You, you sort of know how these uh, companies function. How big of a hurdle was this for Ford? to really jump through to come to this conclusion and how likely is it that other automakers will jump on that bandwagon now like how how's that formula play out in your head yeah the technical hurdle is small so uh, i think tesla opens up their patents for the nacs so you're able to install that receptacle into the vehicle i think there's other smaller ev products out there that use the plug i believe aptera has the nacs Plug, but I don't think they have uh, the, the supercharging uh, capability on that vehicle. So the technical hurdle, I almost typically that's what Monroe and Associates does is we dig into all the technical details and there are some technical benefits and maybe a little bit of hurdles. But the big hurdle is the pride associated with you are Ford Motor Company. And I think it's great. Uh, it's, it's great for the leadership of Ford that they were able to be humble enough to recognize that Tesla is the leader in charging infrastructure and uh, user experience with EVs and charging and having being able to swallow the pride and say, you know what, they're better. Let's partner with them. That takes a lot 
uh, it's like the intangible aspect of the decision to be humble enough as Ford Motor Company to say, you know what, we're going to we're going to partner with Tesla is really big because some of the other OEMs, the other large American OEMs would refuse to even say the word Tesla for a longest period of time. I don't think Mary Barra would even say the word <laughs> Tesla or Elon's name. It was almost like they pretend he didn't even exist. Do you remember? It was like a year or yeah. two ago, oh, the yeah. whole Biden thing, and the, they invited him to the White House. They acted like it wouldn't even exist. And that kind of goes to show the narrative that's kind of controlled by traditional media. And then uh, people like yourself, where I feel like Elon Musk is really doing the world a big service by uh, taking over Twitter, because now it's really paved the way for this citizen journalism and it's like, if you really want to know what's going on in the EV landscape, you can digest your information from people like either Monroe Live or yourself, or there's two dozen other outlets that will essentially cut through all of these, you know, political or union narratives and just tell you the facts and show you the vehicles torn down and talk about these topics um, honestly. And I think that's the biggest hurdle. You ask like, what's the biggest challenge? What's the biggest hurdle is for Ford and Jim Farley and even uh, the head of uh, Ford uh, Model E, I think it's Doug Field, to be able to recognize that and understand the benefit. And I think the, the response has been overwhelmingly positive, not only from people who are Ford fans and Ford EV fans, but also Tesla fans. I, I thought there might be a little bit more reaction, negative reaction from Tesla owners who will be like, oh, great. Now, uh, now when I go charge, there's going to be 30 Fords waiting in line. I think that Tesla will be able to collect enough data as Fords start using the system that they'll be able to predict where they need to add more uh, charging stations and they'll adjust accordingly. That's my opinion is I think they'll be ahead of any sort of congestion issues or wait time issues, or yeah. they can use economics. They can essentially start charging more and more for the Ford uh, people to use the, the Tesla superchargers, which I hope is not the case. And then it becomes a profit center. So envision a world in five to 10 years where every other OEM is is subsidizing the development of Tesla vehicles through the charging service funds. It's wild. It'd be like if General Motors owned all the gas stations. Yeah. <laughs> like e everywhere you fill up, oh, you know, it's General Motors oil or whatever. <laughs> it, it, think about it. General like, oil. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and I'm surprised there's, there's not, I don't want to be the one who points this out. Like, monopoly or antitrust at a certain point uh, other charging providers can can build chargers with the nacs plug right yeah yep. they can so there really isn't a monopoly it's not like you can only charge at tesla's they just do it so much better it becomes the preferred and only choice which is kind of wild yeah no those are some great points um Thank you for for the uh, for the kind comments around uh, the citizen journalism stuff. I mean, that's the reason I think why Monroe is doing so well. I, I do wonder, you know, I, I do wonder how much of that uh, ecosystem rising up and and sort of being molded because of the um, sort of failure by say mainstream media sources to actually tell what's like actually tell it how it is and what's going on i wonder how much of that was just a lot of fuel for this ecosystem to exist of of, of independent journalism which maybe may have been the one of the key data points for ford to go out and make the decision to say okay now we're actually going to do this and we're going to get into it and we're going to uh take the data that, that exists out there that's correct and make a decision that's that's good for our customers i think the the really interesting comment you just made around how every uh, charger that's out there that's NACS standard, as long as Tesla's creating those, um, you know, that Tesla, the company, could profit for every EV that's put on the road in the United States, they could take a cut. <laughs> yeah. So, like, now they have an incentive for every automaker to do well because every single EV that's on the road it means a higher profit, more money for Tesla. And it's also a forcing function, one would think, 
for Tesla or whoever wants to build NACS chargers to make as many of them as possible so that it can support the what's likely to be a, a, a really large momentum in the coming years towards more and more EVs on the road, especially with federal and state incentives that are rolling out right now, like the $5,000 state incentive in Colorado that just introduced, I think starts in July on top of the 7,500. Oh, wow. So there's just so much momentum. It's insane. So, you, you know, you can get a Model Y for like low uh, 30s or something. So there, there's a lot of momentum to this. Um, so you, you sort of asked about... Uh, you asked earlier, you know, will CCS die? You know, and you, both you and I think we're there. But let me let me ask you this: uh, If you are every other automaker, how important is it for those automakers to get on NACS? And if they don't, is like what percentage chance of failure would you like? How big of a decision is this? Like, truly, you, you kind of alluded to this on I wouldn't want to be on their boardroom. But is this as important as the type of chemistry you're using in your battery, like the type of design you have? How, how do you think about this decision in context of survival? No, I don't think it's that important because there's always a bastardized way that you could sell a, you could sell a vehicle with a CCS uh, plug in perpetuity and, and use some sort of uh, adapter to charge. So we have Tesla chargers here at our, at our work. We also have a, a CCS one for a Ford for our F-150 lightning. And we have them installed on the wall. And when somebody wants to charge the Rivian on a Tesla, you know, home charger, they just, we just get bought this adapter from China. You just like plug it in and just plug it in and it works. So it's just how inconvenient, how much inconvenience do you want to put on your consumer that, if in the future everything goes to NACS, now you got to drive around with a dongle. Similar to how a Tesla owner, if they want to charge anywhere else with CCS, you got to pull out the little adapter thing that you can buy off the Tesla website. So it's not that it's impossible, it's just more painful. And I think it just shows who the true leader is. Um, if everybody shifts to NACS first and CCS as a secondary or even a tertiary way in the future. And um, it, the it's not some sort of major hurdle, but it the, where it'll really affect an OEM is that when somebody goes to buy, like you said, it's usually in the top three. The people, uh, you know, it's cost is number one. I think charging is always two or three because they think people think there's not any chargers. That'll be a big uh, factor that weighs on whether or not someone buys, whether a GM product, if it's still a CCS versus a Ford product. I know I now would consider a Ford product because of this. Like, and, and, and that was the one last thing that was keeping me. So now if uh, Ford comes out with a three row SUV in 2025, let's say it's the Navigator or the Expedition. And it and I can charge it on the Tesla charging network. I am buying that vehicle now. My only hesitation was like, oh my God, how am I gonna drive up north with my family? You know, oh geez, what I I don't want to <laughs> deal. I just didn't want to put in the mental effort of figuring it out because sure. I know if I took a model Y, my family wouldn't fit, but I know exactly where I would charge. I wouldn't even think about it. it, it it'd be awesome. So it's it's a benefit to Ford. And I think it truly shows that Elon is truly dedicated to his mission of transitioning the world to cleaner uh, sources of transportation, that he's willing to risk any loss in market share and benefit to Ford in order to further you know, push his mission. And, and it, that's uh, accelerating the transition. I think that was even the title of the, of the, of the Twitter spaces. I think it was. Yeah. Accelerating EV adoption or something. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Great. And, and then one last thing on the uh, charging revenue. I think that early on Tesla made no money. They, they probably lost money on their charging infrastructure. This actually builds a plan in the future where they can maybe start to either break even if they're not breaking even or make some money off of it. But I don't think it's going to be a huge profit center. The value of the data that they'll be able to collect on competitors, I think is the biggest value. Cause I, I truly think Tesla is more of an AI company 
they're transitioning there. And Elon has talked about his robots and, and the market value of the robots, everybody wanting one or two of those. And the data that's collected by road trip habits, charging links, uh, based on all of that, I'm, I'm sure I'm, I, I would assume that Tesla will have access to that data as well as Ford. Mm. Right. Because Mm -hmm. right before I came in here, I was actually trying to go on my Tesla account to output all of my charging experiences on my model three when Sandy and I took our road trip. Cause it's really cool to look at the data, to see the different rates, whether I paid by time, whether I paid by kilowatt, uh, kilowatt or kilowatt hour, I think kilowatt and whether, um, uh, I don't know whether I preconditioned and there's all sorts mm-hmm. of all so much data in there that, that we've looked at before. I just didn't have time to print that off because I wanted to use that as a talking point. I see. No, that's that's awesome. Uh, in the chat, do let me know if the mic sounds better. I was getting some reports of it being a little crackly, so hopefully uh, it sounds better now. This is what happened. See, I let my producer leave the house for a day, and my God, it's the whole freaking world collapses. <laughs> um, no, those are some some excellent points. I, I do wonder, you know, you kind of mentioned how there is a, um, you know, th- there is a transition from Tesla to go into an AI company. Uh, and I kind of want to pick your brain on, on, on a little bit about that and what other potential sort of partnerships we could see in the auto market. But maybe contextualize this sort of charging partnership that has come up with something like um, b- back in like the Numi days, right? Or like some other uh, times where automakers would come together to try and uh, do a, an effort, you know, like together. So Numi was the old GM Toyota, right? GM Toyota mm-hmm. partnership in California, which is Tesla's Fremont factory now. Uh, how does this partnership differ from those kinds of partnerships? Is it, is it sort of an uncommon thing that has happened in the auto industry? Is it par for the course? Is it just the next iteration of how automakers will partner? Can you contextualize some of that for us? I think this is quite different than a hardware um, collaboration. Cause I think even BMW and Toyota collaborated on their little rear wheel drive sports car. I don't even know. It's the, the people are going to kill me. I benchmark cars all day, but <laughs> there's, I forget what it is, but like you open the hood and everything says BMW, even though it's a Toyota Supra, you know, mm. everything under the hood and the new me days, whether as a Pontiac, uh, Pontiac vibe, or the Toyota Matrix. And I know a lot of people who drove those Pontiac vibes and they're like, this is the best GM product I've ever had. And I said, yeah, it's because it's a Toyota. And they're like, what? What? <laughs> you know, I said, yeah, it's a Toyota Matrix. They like didn't even know. And it was kind of funny. But um, so when you're trying to get scale, small cars were hard to make money on. So oftentimes you'd see collaborations on small cars or, or low volume cars. So that's why BMW and Toyota, they don't make very many of those Supras or that rear wheel drive, whatever BMW version. So it makes sense there, but this is different. This is infrastructure and it's the user experience that goes beyond the hardware of the vehicle. So I wouldn't, it's hard to equate that to sharing a plant to build vehicles. And um, I would, if Tesla started licensing their powertrain and battery and selling that to other OEMs for them to build vehicles, that'd be more akin to like the, the new me plant. Like if you could buy a GM product that was built on a Tesla platform, similar to how GM and Honda are collaborating. I think Honda has a, 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 midsize SUV, a BEV in the works, and it's going to be built on the GM Ultium platform because Honda and GM are kind of working together a little bit. That that more mirrors that. So I think mm. if uh, this is a little different, that's what I'm saying. It's just, it seems, it seems different. I see. Yeah. What's the, um, what's the likelihood that the drivetrain and battery partnerships do start to take hold now that a sort of a door has been opened with the charging partnership between Ford and Tesla. Like what do, do you think we're entering a stage now where now that we've sort have open cooperation for the next generation of vehicles, could that be a signal that says that this is the first thing of many, you know, drive trains, batteries, uh, full self-driving software? How do you think about that? Is it really that big of a deal or do you think this is just an island 
of uh, of many islands that are going to yeah. appear. I think the biggest deal is software. So Elon mentioned, I think Elon or Jim Farley mentioned this in their conversation that he wanted to, Elon wanted to equate his software to Android, like yeah. Android. And how Android now is on all phones that aren't Apple. So you have Apple, you have Android. That would be game changing. And I think there's other OEMs, some startups uh, like Rivian has a really good user interface and they're improving it really, really often. So we have a Rivian. We've seen what the user interface with the software is like early on, but now it's, it's competitive. But there's other vestigial OEMs that... Are, I think are really far behind and they're just now abandoning Apple CarPlay and they're trying to get in their own space. But there's been historic failures in the past of internally developed software systems for automobiles. And this is way more complicated than Ford Sync of the past, which had problems. And even there was a Cadillac, uh, I don't forget, Cadillac had their own software system, I think a decade ago. It was a huge failure. And now... Um, there's Android, Android Auto and BlackBerry. There's these other software providers that are providing these software ecosystems for cars for these totally connected vehicles that will be competing with Tesla. If Tesla is willing to license their total vehicle architecture software, that could also be another large source of, of income for Tesla that doesn't actually have a large physical cost. You're not manufacturing batteries and taking away critical resources that you need for your batteries now you're mm -hmm. selling your software which essentially exists out in the ether you have to have engineers to help apply that or or you know execute that with another oem but software is a much higher margin market because it's so hard to identify or benchmark the true cost of software it's something we get asked at monroe all the time hey what does it cost to develop the software for this and it's like it's very difficult because the more elegant the solution, the easier it was, but actually the brain power behind an elegant solution is harder to find. So oftentimes really complicated, expensive looking things are actually bad solutions um, mm. from a software perspective. And it's very hard to benchmark what a good software solution is. And is that because there are individual contributors that can have an outsized impact basically because it's code, right? That's basically yep. most of the lift. Okay. Mm -hmm. That makes a lot of sense. So for, it sounds like from the standpoint of, say, a, uh, a Tesla or whoever decides to, um, you know, do their own version of, I, I'm, I'm going to say Apple CarPlay, but it's not really Apple CarPlay. It's an OS. It's a vehicle OS of sorts that's going to run uh, the infotainment and whatever else needs to run. How much of a... Uh, how much of a lift there needs to be for from that provider? In this case, let's just assume it's Tesla and they decide to put, you know, the Tesla OS or the in-car OS into every other automaker. Is there, you know, do they have to partner with every single, uh, you know, supplier of the components that the software is going to manage? Or is it much simpler than that? Is it just like the computer and the chip that runs the software and then how it talks to the different components of the car are more standardized. Does that, does that make any sense? Yeah, it, it's actually, it starts with higher level decisions at an organization and okay. it comes down to the hardware that is selected to run the vehicle and what software is locked to those pieces of hardware. So I've talked at length with uh, several experts in this field. Uh, one of them works at a company called Wipro his name is Thomas Mueller. He is like a genius when it comes to this. And he explained a lot of how this works. So older vehicles, the way they were sourced is you have like a lift gate module that controls your lift gate in a minivan or an SUV. Oftentimes the control of that, if it has features like if it stops for your garage height, if it has sensors, that'll be locked on a piece of hardware, a module. So you have a module for that, that the supplier of the liftgate mechanism and whatnot will want to sell as a package. And mm. that doesn't talk to the rest of the car. And then you'll have other features throughout the car, whether that's glove box release or door control that are hardware and software locked to different suppliers. And then you have to have all of these separate pieces of hardware and software talk to the body controller. And then it gets super complicated. And that's why when we started to tear down vehicles, we've seen 
35, 45, 55, 60, 70 separate modules, electrical modules on vehicles. And then you'd see half as many on Tesla. And during investor day, Tesla talked about taking control of all of their uh, modules. And I think it was 85% of the Cybertruck will be under the control of Tesla. And then their new platform will be 100%. So you can't just take an OEM and say, we want to use uh, Tesla software because you'll have all of these locked hardware software barriers of sourced components. So it comes down to how you sourced your features and whether or not you've, you've locked into some sort of uh, essentially software encrypted wall where that OEM, that tier one is motivated of selling this bespoke feature set with a module and a lift gate. That's like the one example that I can think of is some sort of feature set that you get from some supplier. Tesla's essentially taking control of all their modules and all their software, and then they're able to update, control, monitor, and improve the user experience of everything in the vehicle because they have control of everything in the vehicle. So you have to start making decisions now on your next generation platform to even enable your vehicle to be able to accept a software package that mimics how Tesla operates and updates their vehicle. And I can't actually speak to the level of control like a Model 3 or Model Y has because I think they even Tesla has been making some decisions that are old school with you know different features of the vehicle. And that's not an area of expertise for me, but this is how it was explained to me from this guy named Thomas. I've actually referenced Thomas's name like on five different interviews because mm. I got to give him credit. He is so he was so intelligent in understanding how all these systems work together. So it was really we have great partners that we talk to to kind of understand these things. That's fascinating. So as an example, so you know I have a Tesla Model Y. So if, when I you know how you can do your and different cars have this too, but you know how you can put in your profile like I am I have my seat in a specific position and I have my wheel my steering wheel in a specific position and some cars can do the pedals as well. So me hitting my name on the infotainment screen, then there has to be a partnership or you have to internalize uh, bring that that module internally so that the screen can talk to the the the, the chair, the steering wheel, and the uh, pedal so that they can, when I hit the screen, they all move in tandem, right? Is, is that a good? Yeah, that's great. So like in my vehicle and every vehicle I've had in the last decade, all that control is on the, it's on the door. Like I have, right. I, and I have the settings one, two, three, and, and I, you, you know, you set everything, steering wheel, mirrors, seat, and you set it, driver one, driver two, and you can set it to a key fob. And I have over-the-air updates, but I'm not sure. I don't know if General Motors, because I drive a GM product, can actually interface with the software that interfaces with that. Like, that that may be where it stops. I don't know. And in the past, that may have been all locked with the seat controller, you know, or or maybe the body controller. I don't have enough insight, but exactly correct. That's another set of features that maybe Tesla has more control over because they make their own seats. That's a really good point. But I know their door modules, I believe they're supplied by a supplier, the door modules, mm. which would which would maybe control the mirror, you know, your mirror because it's more than it's steering wheel, which is a different supplier as well. So multiple suppliers talking together that could be controlled by the OEM, maybe not. And it's just you have to think through every feature of the car that you want to be controlled by the software and make sure that it's open enough for your ecosystem to control it. Got it. And so how much of a signal could it be that, you know, with with Tesla saying that they're going to bring all these uh, modules basically 100% in-house or control 100% of the modules with the compact car, how much of a signal is that that says they might be willing to uh, license or sell that infotainment uh, sort of OS, uh, and then they also provide you the modules, whatever those are, uh, as an automaker, so that you can basically they become they become a tier one supplier, whatever that would be, you know, sort of labeled in that in that in that sort of thing. They become a supplier, and you know, you get the OS and you get all the modules, and then all of a sudden you might have a GM or a or a Ford or a Honda that, as long as they're purchasing that entire thing from Tesla, they're able to basically 
provide the same level of uh, infotainment and how you interface with the card internally. Is that you think that's a signal that says Tesla might be willing to do that? The I think software for sure, but the hardware is harder for me to envision in the near term. Mm -hmm. um, but if Tesla ended up selling the hardware and the software for the soft, you know, for the ecosystem of the vehicle, for the software ecosystem of the vehicle, all that does is push Tesla's advantage even further because then now they are selling something that's essentially free to them. So their vehicles, they're not going to pay themselves a huge software fee. They've already developed. It'll just be amortized over, you know, to, yeah. yeah. So they're getting it for free. And if they're charging another OEM $300 or $1,000 per car, that means they're that much more advantaged from a cost perspective for their future vehicle. And then if they're selling the hardware with a markup, the markup on the hardware is even further advantage that Tesla has over every, every other OEM that is either buying it from Tesla or another supplier. So the more internalization of either software or hardware that Tesla does it brings a cost advantage and that goes, you don't have to be, you don't have to have a master's in economics to understand that if you do something yourself, you're not paying a supplier, a markup, you're not paying the shipping. If you're building your seat in the plant, like, so when I was in Giga Berlin, I'm walking down the seat line and there's this guy literally wrapping the seat, you know? And I'm like, normally that's done in other countries. Like, cause you want to outsource this hard manual labor. And I looked at Sandy and I said, I sure hope he's not doing that every day. My hands would be killing. He goes, <laughs> Oh no, they probably, probably does that for 10 minutes and then rotates to doing the clips on the back. So we were watching this and it was wild to me that they were building the seats right there, right next to final assembly. Like final assembly was right on the other aisle. They were decking batteries and, and cradles and chassis. So it, it's, uh, Every time you see that internalization and that that uh, vertical integration, it's just more profit margin that, that Tesla can realize. One of the comments that was made on the space with Jim Farley and Elon Musk, uh, and we sort of alluded to this earlier, but we talked about the software, uh, but... FSD, the actual self-driving module itself, was something that was rumored to be a long-term thing where we might see something similar where uh, vehicles will partner around one, say, or two players that provide that solution. Do you think this is step one of maybe a step a thousand where Tesla might get to that point? And how, you know, and, and when you're thinking about self-driving technology in the long term, like say in the next five to 10 years, how many players do you think will exist that will offer those solutions? Or is it just, uh, is it one player's game to lose? How do you think about that? I think there will be at least two to three major players that survive in the full self-driving realm. Uh, because you'll have different, You'll, you'll always have a debate on the hardware necessary to achieve level four and five. So many voices in the industry think that you have to have more radar and LIDAR to truly perform in all adverse scenarios, like heavy snow, dust, rain, night, and whatnot. So there's companies out there like Mobileye that provide a really great solutions, but you have to that once again, get locked into their hardware and software. So kind of like what I was saying earlier, and that's maybe not something an OEM wants to do. So I think you had some of the German OEMs that were relying on Mobileye, tried to do things themselves, and then they had to come back to Mobileye uh, as the provider of their hardware and software solutions for uh, the level three uh, solutions. I think Mercedes has, I believe it uses some Mobileye uh, hardware. So, I think there's the hardware software aspect. It's be, because the the hardware pieces that Tesla uses are essentially commoditized. The sensors, the ultrasonic sensors they've removed, but the cameras are commodities. There's nothing fancy about the cameras they're using. They're whatever. I don't even know. They were like iPhone two, selfie cameras. Yeah. They're not, <laughs> not that much. Two and a half, four, five, seven megapixels. And now you have the little infrared glowing red lights in the hardware for. So a little bit of infrared, um, regular cameras, and then you have um, a front radar. I know the debate was the radar was gone. I think that was a chip shortage thing, really. They pulled the radar off when they probably couldn't 
couldn't source them. And I believe that was a continental unit. So just a tier one supplier supplied that unit. Um, we did a short video on that to figure out what that costs. So the, the continental radar unit and the ultrasonic sensors that essentially could be removed from a model Y you're talking, a, I think it was like a billion dollars. And we did the math if they just took them off of every model S, X, three and Y. And now you wow. see S's, X's model threes and Y's. They don't have the ultrasonic sensors anymore. So I think there's a heart, you got to weave in the hardware choices into the software providers. Cause your question was like, Oh, you know, it will, will FS, will Tesla be able to license FSD and everybody kind of takes that. I think there'll still be a secondary or tertiary camps that say you need more radar, you need more LIDAR. And then there's Sandy who says you need uh, what's that LIDAR he likes? Fleer. Yeah. Fleer. There you go. See, I knew I'm a fan. I'm a fan. Yeah. <laughs> I think Fleer is just kind of cost prohibitive, but it's really, it's really great. <laughs> got it got it okay that's that's very helpful to to wrap my head around thank you so much um let's uh, let me ask you a question and then uh let's do about say 10 to 12 minutes of q a you cool with that yeah yeah cool um after this uh cory's gonna head over to uh, herbert's channel and uh, he'll be dropping that video at some point so make sure after we're done here and herbert drops his make sure you go check out herbert's channel and Corey's conversation once that drops let's uh hook up a, a brother um so let's play a game. And then while we play this game, if you have a question for Corey, drop it in the comment section below. Make sure you write question before uh, your question so I can sort through and find the ones that are the best ones, which will be all of them. And we'll see how many I can get through. Um, let's play a game. So think about all the major automakers uh, that exist in the world today. How many of them will move to NACS by the end of the decade? What percentage? Percentage. Or raw number, whatever, whatever you feel more comfortable with. Yeah, percentage is tough because if we consider, uh, me being an engineer, if we consider every OEM, there's like 50 in China. I mean, so we're talking North America. Let, let, yeah, West. Let's talk. Let's talk Western nations. So yeah. Western nations. So you figure there's about 50 automakers, 40 if you count all the small ones, and break them out. Yeah, Renault. Peugeot, End of the decade. Things. I'm going to be conservative here and say 45%. I think okay. you'll have some people that some OEMs, I think in the next year or two will switch. And then you'll have some holdouts that have too much pride. Like I mentioned, I think Jim Farley takes a lot of humility to recognize that a competitor has, has outpaced you in some realm of the, of the user experience. And I think it, it was very big of him to recognize that and partner with Tesla. So kudos to Mr. Farley and Doug field there. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I can the, give, yeah, yeah, there's some OEMs that just, I think have too much pride. They'll literally die on the CCS Hill. So that's, that's concerning. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, um, and then follow up on that, because I know Europe, China, and the U.S. are all on different standards, I believe. Are, are China and Europe on the same on the same plug, or are they different? We have a Chinese vehicle in here, and the plug is different. I don't even know what it is. I, okay. I should. I know these are questions for that uh, Tom Malogny. He's like the charging expert. He okay. has like 70 chargers at his house. I don't he would know. We got to get some of these guys on the channel. I yeah. think it's going to be it's going to be fun to talk to them. But but do you think so Europe is on that um whatever I forget the name. Is it CCS2 or is it a different version of CCS in Europe? I forget the name of convention. I, I thought yeah. it was CCS2. Okay. Do do you think that they might be incentivized to move to so say let's assume NACS becomes the North American charging standard in the States. Do you think uh, the European standard will be phased over to this one because of its benefits? Or do you think CCS2 is, is stuck in Europe? No. And I think Elon mentioned that they're not even able to have private charging networks with NACS over in Europe. I think it's way more governmental. I don't think mm. so. It's enforced at at like this government level that is beyond changing. I don't think you'll see it. Got it. Okay. Let's do uh, about 10 minutes of Q&A and then we'll let Corey get on, get on with his very busy day. All right. Here we go. Uh, how do I do this again? Okay. Uh, question. Do you have any running shoe recommendations? Yes, I do. 
Um, I switched to a, comp- a running shoe called On Cloud. They're really popular now, and I run in the On Cloud Cloud Monsters because I I was trying to lose weight. I wanted something with a lot of cushion. They're amazing. So On Cloud Cloud Monsters. I've had like I put about four hundred to five hundred miles per pair. They last a long time, and for races, I run in the uh, Nike Alpha Fly Next two percent Ikadin. So seems really confusing. They have a carbon fiber plate in them, space aged foam. They're supposed to make you two to four percent faster, and they are amazing. They're they're tailored for half marathon to marathon distances, and you can only run in them for. 60 to 80 miles before they wear out and they're like 250 bucks. So there's, if you're going to be professional and, and if you're going to race a race, get the Nikes, they're amazing. And, uh, the on cloud cloud monsters. All right. Do you have, a, do you have a sponsorship, sponsorship, sponsorship link people can use on your Twitter? I, <laughs> to I, get a discount? I, no, I don't. I, we talked <laughs> Come about on, that. Nike. I'm not, I only have 17,000, uh, Twitter followers. I'm not like you. I think you got to kind of be in the big leagues to be sponsored. <laughs> I am sponsored by a wallet company called okay. Exter, and I've been using it for a while. Uh, the channel sponsored, and, and it's awesome because you press this button and all your cards slide out. So there's a plug. That's okay. awesome. Yeah. There you go. Go use Corey's link and then Nike and Cloud. What on Cloud? It's called on the cloud. other shoe. Yeah. If you're watching this, come on, get this man a, a sponsorship. Get him a link, will you? Um, Alex asks, when will Ford move from 12 volt to 48 volt components? Is this because I know there's a supply chain component that's tied to this, right? Is how likely is this? I do not think it'll be so. Jim Farley mentioned the next generation, uh, Ford EVs with the NACS. I think this is too long of a lead development thing for it to be 2025 to 2030. I think you'll see it on the next cycle of new EVs, in my opinion. If uh, Tesla leads the way with the supply base for the uh, larger components of the Cybertruck and then everything on their high volume, uh, smaller vehicle. But I don't think any traditional OEM is going to, they're all going to be fast followers. That's my answer. That's just my opinion. We are seeing in general questions about this for us at Monroe to investigate this, the true savings uh, from a total vehicle perspective. So it is very popular. So if you're watching this and you're a supplier or you're an OEM, reach out to Monroe because we're doing a lot of investigation on this and we might be able to help you out. Interesting. So a lot of interest, it's just going to be a, a heavy lift and they want to make sure it's worth it before before they do it, I'm guessing. Otherwise, otherwise there wouldn't be that much interest, right? Because yeah. it does involve, my God, it involves the entire supply chain being switched over basically, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, cool. Let's do another Alex question because he's got really good questions and a longtime listener of the show. Uh, do you think the supercharger API will work both ways and allow for others to build NACS chargers that integrate to the same API? Um, how do you think Ooh. about that question? That's no, fascinating. That's a great question. And yeah. my answer is no. Uh, I think that is, I don't see the incentive for Tesla to allow so that'd be like, I don't know if that's Ford being able to drive their NACS vehicles and and interface with, let's say, Electrify America the same way. I think Tesla's and Ford's already. It, for me, the API is as you're driving with the Ford Pro, the Ford interface, will it map your route? Will you precondition? Will you plug in and will it automatically charge? I don't think there's a huge incentive for others to build NACS for Tesla to allow others to build a charging network that competes. And, and so I don't think so. My, my answer is no. Okay. Yeah. Fascinating stuff. So if it does take off, then Tesla is going to be uniquely positioned to really be a, a fuel provider in the long yeah. term as well. Kind of like what we yeah. alluded to I, earlier. I, I can see Tesla willing to, allow other OEMs to use their advantage network, but I don't think they want to give that advantage to other networks. Got it. That's my opinion on that. Got it. Makes that makes actually from a business perspective, why would you, right? That's mm. and yeah. Uh next question. Just for funds. Question. Thoughts on hardware four and is hardware three capable of autonomy in Corey and Monroe's opinion? I think hardware three is capable, but hardware four 
allows more future proofing. Um, so I did a video with David Warner, who's our expert, and he can he compared the chips, the thermal control. So it's not like Tesla added four high. They didn't go from two to four processors. It wasn't a huge step change. It was a small step change in processing power. I don't remember off the top of my head, but I just remember it was like 15 or 20% more processing power, uh, better thermal management, better uh, connections to the board itself. It was a, a small improvement, but um, it also allowed for a continued use of radar. It had a plug for radar and more camera ports. So is hardware four more capable? Yes. But was hardware three capable of autonomy? It was also capable. Um, it, that's, it's, it's hard for me to answer having not driven or analyzed a hardware four vehicle yet. But I, if you're going to buy a Tesla right now and it has hardware three, I would not shy away. Hardware two, yes. The, the difference between hardware two and hardware three, or it's actually 2.5, Correct. I think. That was a big change. And I think you could actually uh, pay Tesla to replace that for you. Three to four, I don't think is as big of a deal. Cool. Um, this is from Zachary. Does Corey use AG1? Do you know what AG1 is? No? No. Oh, okay. what, is a, it, what is it? It's a supplement. Uh, it's Athletic Greens. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. No. Yeah. No. Okay. I, I use um honey stinger and a company called noon n-u-u-n um for uh advanced hydration i started using it only in the last uh, month of my marathon training gotcha okay uh, it's funny i only brought it up because i'm actually sponsored by them <laughs> uh -huh. i figured someone's gonna ask a question <laughs> might as well plug it uh all right let's wrap it up here because i know you got to go uh for your next one oh, what is Corey's man. college football prediction so if you don't know Corey oh, is a huge nebraska huskers fan and he had a giant prediction last year which i won't no, say no, what it was but uh but what, what do you think? I mean, this year you got a new coach, right? You got, uh, what's his name? Matt Rule, right? Mm -hmm. He's a very good coach. What, what are you thinking this year? And we'll, we'll have to do a pre-college football podcast. <laughs> so I'm predicting we lose our opening game. It's at Minnesota. But then we go at Colorado with Deion Sanders. And right now the tickets for the Nebraska-Colorado game are like $400 a ticket. It's like more than NFL games. Because wow. Deion Sanders said, don't let Nebraska fans in because it's only eight hours from Lincoln, Nebraska to, to Boulder, Colorado. Whoa. And in, in the past, we had um, Nebraska fans had overwhelmed the Boulder Stadium. And it was like all red because we travel well and people pay astronomical amounts. So it kind of incited Nebraska fans. It's like they'll pay whatever, a thousand bucks, they'll show up. So that'll be a big game because Deion Sanders is at Colorado, new coach. Matt Rule's at Nebraska. Um, so I think we'll beat Colorado in Colorado. So I'll go – we'll be 500 after two games, and then I'm I'm guessing six games, we barely make it to a bowl game. Okay. Six so six, six and six? Okay. Yeah. I'm going to say nine and three for you guys. Yeah, <sighs> nine and three. No, yeah, I think uh, – I think, Matt Rule's a good coach, man. <laughs> He's a great coach. So we'll see. We'll see uh, how the, the the Huskers will do. Actually, one of my uh, really good friends that I met here, he's also a huge Nebraska fan. And uh, him and I are probably, he's going to come over, going to watch games together. So we'll be rooting for the Huskers together, brother. Unless they play Penn State, which I don't think they play this year. So no, I'm no. a Huskers fan uh, all year. Maybe in the Big Ten Championship. Maybe no. in the Big Ten Championship. Ooh, then then we'll have to. Oh, my God. Then it's, then it's going to be worse. I'll, I'll go to or, the game. We'll do a live podcast dude. from the game. Let's do yeah. it. Okay, yeah. done. Everybody root for Nebraska Cornhuskers and the Penn State Nittany Lions to go to the college foot, uh, to the uh, Big Ten Championship so that we can have a live Corey Farzad Monroe live podcast on site. And it's going to be absolutely nuts. And hopefully neither of us is yeah. too drunk. And I also, <laughs> I also love your shirt. Uh, is that a Chad Powers? Think fast, run it fast. It is, dude. Think fast, run fast.
I love that skit. <laughs> Think fast, run fast by uh, Eli Manning. Eli, that yeah. was amazing. It was hilarious. Yeah, the the proceeds went to a charity. So I'm like, you know what? I, I got like three of them. So I have like three different variations of it. So awesome. it was hilarious. Just anytime Penn State gets good, good rep, I'm. I, I'm very happy to see it. Corey, thank you so much, man. Uh, you have a lot of stuff going on, but I really appreciate the time you've made. Uh, thank you to you, to Sandy, to the Monroe team, uh, to the Monroe Live team. Always a pleasure. Every time we get together, I enjoy our time so much, and I'm very much looking forward to the next time we speak. Uh, any parting words uh, before we let you go? Uh, nope, no parting words. I always appreciate you making time for me to come on your show. Thanks, Farzad. Of course. My pleasure. Make sure you check him out on Twitter and check out Monroe Live on YouTube. All right, everybody. We'll see you on the next one. Let's see if I do this correctly. Take it easy, everybody. Bye-bye.